Hi, I'm Mara Webster with In Creative Company, and today I'm thrilled to be talking about the film Outlaw Johnny Black with the wonderful Michael Jai White, who's the director, co-writer, producer, and also plays the lead role of Outlaw Johnny Black. Um, the film does have a sag after interim agreement, which is allowing us to have this wonderful conversation today. Um, and I wanted to start by talking about the fact that you had the idea for this film even before you made Black Dynamite. So it's been something that's really been kind of resonating with you for a long time. And I was interested in how sitting with the idea of the film um, and thinking about how specifically you wanted to tell this story um, led to the execution and, and the way that you have told this on film. Oh yeah, yeah. There, there's I have a number of um, ideas, and this was one of them. And and uh, uh, originally we were going to do Black Dynamite two first, but you know we kept getting snags and then getting that done. So I went ahead and and did this movie. That's great, you know, and and. Within the film as well, you've kind of talked a little bit already previously about how you wanted to create something that was really entertaining. You know, it's obviously got this wonderful comedic lens to it, but also that had messaging and, and a dialogue that would really resonate with audiences. And it, it seems like from the audiences who've already seen the film that that really is hitting home in a lot of the responses that you've been getting. Um, and I was interested in the challenges that came with trying to make sure that you were servicing both of those sides of how you wanted to tell the story. Well, I mean, it's something that, you know, is, is within the script and that, and I had great actors respond to that. So yeah, the challenge is in first just crafting it out and then just making sure the tones are set right and to be in a place where uh, dialogue and, and, and um, the drama resonates as well as the comedy. So that's just a, a play, an interesting navigational place. And I've, I've heard you say something in terms of the comedy as well about the importance of not playing the comedy for landing the beat of the joke, but playing it for the truthfulness. And I was just interested in how you really approach that to make sure that you're still getting the comedic side of the film across, but that it's really all about the truthfulness of these characters in the execution. Yeah, I feel like anything, whether it be horror, comedy, drama, anything, it needs not be telegraphed yeah. to really affect you. Mm -hmm. uh, if I'm going to tell you, I'm going to make you laugh, then you know you're you're uh, you know you're likely not to laugh. So you know, so that's the thing is, uh, I, I studied and I'm big. I've been a big uh, student of comedy and drama. So and, and so yeah. So that's that's something that. I love and I think I have a unique perspective on, and especially physical comedy. I I I so looked up to Monty Python and that troupe and, and Peter Sellers and and Steve Martin. These people were physical uh, physical comedians and and um and with Monty Python, their 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 levels were something that I always uh, sought to have in my movie. And physical comedy is something that's so interesting because it's it's a little bit less about what's on the page and a little bit more about what you're finding on set with the rest mm. of the cast and in your own performance. Um, and so how did you work with the rest of the cast to really figure out what is the physical comedy going to look like in the film and making sure that everybody was on the same page and how they were executing it? Well, I wish I could. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I just cast amazing people. <laughs> that's what it comes down to. It. I just... There were people 
like me, there's a, there's a word that has been connected with, to me for a very long time. And that's, oh, he's underrated or, you know, <laughs> that or misunderstood or whatever. There, there, I cast a bunch of other people who were absolutely tragically underrated, but I knew what they could do, you know? So everybody punches above their weight class in this movie. I cast the best people for these roles, the best performers, not the most popular. And the same thing I did with Black Dynamite. And that gave the audience a, a, a result that they love and they can watch over and over because you're not gonna get that performance out of anybody else. And so that that's really what um, what makes it special because if I, was, if I were given 50 million to do this movie, pretty much have the same cast. I, in terms of the cast as well, you've said that it was really important to make sure that you were casting people that didn't kind of feel like they were too modern in the setting and really fit for the the time period piece. And so it wasn't like they just walked out of a Starbucks and, and onto set. And so when you were casting, how did you kind of look for that specific aesthetic or or feel or what what was it specifically that you were finding with that? Everybody in this movie feels timeless. Anika Noni Rose is timeless. She is class. She can... She can fit in a movie in the late 1800s and do nothing else. Because, I mean, people were made of some serious stuff back then, right? Every star. I mean, that's when the, the word star meant something. Because you couldn't take your eyes off of these people. They were, they were exceptional human beings. So, first of all, you got to have exceptional human beings. And I had that. And they happen to be actors. And I, I love that as a as a director, but also as an actor, that you've also previously worked as an acting coach yourself. And so how does that influence the way that you're directing actors and, and your cast on set? Yeah, so, you know, I was a school teacher at one time and I, I have a gift of, of, of teaching and empathy and understanding other people's perspectives by knowing how to listen. And so... Some actors who are not as seasoned as others, well, then that's when I can use those teaching uh, skills. And so, um, but see, like even some of the actors who didn't have that, what they had was life experience coming from their eyes, you know? And, you know, then I would have to sometimes trick them in a performance, into a performance that, you know, made them not go outside of who they were. With with the cast as well, I was interested in the the tone of their performances because the the film has such a specific tone and every single actor feels like they're on the same page and they all understood exactly what film they were in together, which isn't a given and isn't always easy to execute. And so was that a case of them really just resonating with what was on the page and understanding it straight away? Or were there any conversations that you had about the specific tone of the film with anybody? Well, yeah, I mean, if, if someone has it naturally, I'm not going to say a word. Again, I cast people because they had it naturally. And it's something that they can't, they can't control. 
And you were talking a little bit before about the physical comedy and there's also a lot of other physical elements in the film as well in terms of the, some of the stunt work that's choreographed. Um, and I was just interested in kind of the pre-production that went into planning a lot of those shots and really just choreographing it out for yourself as a director and then choreographing it out with the cast as well. Well, uh, since I've done so much of the choreography and um and I'm going and for this movie I was going to be very uh authentic to 1970s filmmaking. Uh the choreography was not a an obstacle at all. In fact, the every fight scene that I did I created the choreography on the way to the set. And so I mean um I knew the choreography, but I had <laughs> the stuntmen in the movie. I think 80% of the stuntmen were stunt coordinators. So it was like a jam session of guys who were so like overqualified, it's insane. <laughs> you know? So if we're putting together some little fight sequence, the thing was how to make sure it doesn't, it's not too damn good and and not, you know, period, uh, you know, uh, authentic. So really that's what we were, that was the, the, the task because we could have turned that into a major Kung Fu film if we wanted to, you know, but it, it's like, so even myself in the first fight scene, nobody knew what the fight scene was. I Only I did. And it took, I don't know, maybe 45 minutes. Yeah. It's such a brilliant cheat that I feel like other filmmakers should cotton on to just put the stunt team in the scene themselves and then it takes care of itself. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's 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 not a, it's not a thing that I had to worry about because we were so stunt you know, stunt um I don't know <laughs> talented in in this scene in this and actually the the coordinator, the stunt coordinator, was Terry Leonard. Uh, I, I, what analogy could I give you? It's kind of like um, if I was doing a basketball movie, and I got Phil Jackson to uh, coach it, because um, Terry Leonard is probably the greatest living uh, Western stunt coordinator. You know, I mean, the guys. I mean, he's, he's Steven Spielberg's guy. That's amazing. Yeah. And in, in terms of those sequences in the film as well, you know, partway through the film, there's a really elaborate scene that takes place that's essentially, you know, an homage to, to Western bar fights that would happen in films. Um, and that has so many intricacies. And then you have another really intricate, complex scene towards the end of the film, which is a big kind of shootout combat scene. And so how did you want to kind of make those scenes feel very different to each other? Because it's almost like you have to heighten the stakes even more for the one towards the end of the film. It's it. We were so stocked with talent. It was like, go ahead, guys. <laughs> honestly, honestly, it's just go, go, go right ahead. <laughs> and we're talking about the guys in this room right here. Those guys are with me in this room on weekends, and we watch movies and all of that stuff. And so it's like the guys from my house that we will maybe 
clown around and do stunt stuff in my yard. We have free reign to do what we want on a set. And so that's just kind of like, I love them to sit there and act like, oh, yes, this is a daunting task. And, and I'm like, it's like, go ahead. What do you want to do? Okay. We'll do it. I mean, on my on my Instagram, I actually show, because one of the, one of the uh, cast members, uh, he's, a, he's a small person. He's like, wow, I really would love to do that one day. I'm like, you want to? Okay, we're going to put you in a fight scene. And, and literally showed him something and shot it 15 minutes later. And I have it. His name is uh, Kiwan, and 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 we showed him learning it, and then we shot it, and it's in the movie. So that's how, that's how easy it is, especially when you got <laughs> you got these amazing stuff. I mean, everybody is like damn near a stunt coordinator who've who've run major movies, like Roger, who taught him the thing. He's the stunt coordinator for um, Old Guard. And you know, taught Charlize Theron all the. I mean, he's he's done major like hundred million dollar movies, and he's the coordinator. But that's who I have because that's my buddy. So you know, it's just kind of like, oh, stunts. I think we got it. <laughs> I love that, and especially kind of how tapped in and connected you you seem to be in terms of the fact that, like, yes filmmaking is a serious business, but there's also an aspect of play that goes into the creativity of it. And given that you started out making your own films, just shooting on Super 8 when you were a kid and, and kind of rolling around your front yard, um, how do you feel like the the experience and the process of making a film like this really taps into what it is that made you pick up a camera when you were 10 years old for the first time? Well, yeah, it, it's, it's you know, I'm just living, you know I mean, it's, I, I, I look at that, that's what I was meant to do, you know? And so, I mean, it's just, to me, I, I feel like uh, like you, we basically, um, like we ran away and joined the circus and made a, a living at it. So there, for, for me, there's no, there's no excuse for bickering and negativity on a set. I just, I just don't see it. I don't see it at all. And it, it boggles my mind how, People are so blessed to be able to do this business and yet find ways to bicker and and have inflated egos. I mean, it doesn't make sense to me. It also sounds like a lot of it is also about the way that everybody on set and every position and the cast and the crew feels so connected to the material and, and what they're working on. Because didn't you have crew members who even were asking for copies of the scripts because they wanted to become more invested in it? Yeah, yeah, that never happens. They normally don't care. It's <laughs> just like, this is a job to them. They put up a, a flag or a thing, run some cord, and, and they, you know, and they go sip coffee, wait till, they're, till the scene's done, and they do it again. But they were engaged. Uh, they would laugh <laughs> and sometimes ruin takes. But, you know, you know, I never get mad, but I'm like, you got to quiet, be quiet on this one. But I mean, that's that's beautiful to me. If I can get crew members to laugh, are, are you kidding me? That's telling me I'm doing something right. That's I treated them as as a live audience. You know, so I mean, it, it, it was really great. I, do, you find, I, do you find yourself like tapping into the way that they're responding in terms of, OK, that feels like that was the take. That was the one, because if you look around and you see how everyone's connecting to it. 
Yeah, I mean, uh, one our, our main producer, who is like, he's stone-faced. The most stone-faced guy I know, and he's just all business. He's always busy. And he's he's the one that delivers all the bad news. You know, we got to worry about this. We got to worry about that. When this guy burst out laughing at uh, something I delivered in my last speech, and he couldn't keep it together, I'm like, okay, that's I'm that's that's definitely going in. So, uh, you know, so yeah, yeah, I, I I enjoy those type those type of things. And you mentioned earlier the idea of, of 1970s filmmaking in terms of the style of the film. And so how did wanting to kind of really connect to that specific time period of filmmaking influence the way that you were creating your shot list and where you wanted to place the camera and how you wanted to use it? Yeah, it's it fairly simple to me because I, I I wanted to be authentic to that that filmmaking. And a lot of that filmmaking is not that look at me filmmaking. Mm. It's, it's really kind of standing back and letting those those uh, performers bring the magic you know so it's very easy to lose an audience very easy because if somebody all of a sudden sounds contemporary the illusion is broken if i let anything contemporary slip in even the way of filmmaking um then it's it's all of a sudden your brain is connected to something else. But also I had to change the way and the 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 um style of shooting without people really realizing it because in the 70s, I always say like people would brush their teeth in real time, you know, and you would see a person completely rushing it that that's as you know you couldn't sustain an audience nowadays with that so you had to kind of give them that kind of filmmaking but not to that level because i had to keep the incident level up so for a modern audience yet deliver the feeling that they were watching something circa 1971 I also wanted to ask a little bit about the the sound design and the music composition, because everything from the sound effects that are so specific to the genre that, you, that you're playing with um, to the, the use of music and working with David Hollander, your music director, um, I was fascinated in, in hearing that essentially you thought that you were going to have more music composition, but he actually kind of came forth with a lot of sounds that already existed and you had enough time to kind of like sit there and meld it together. So between the music and um, the sound effects, how did you really want to create this texture of, of genre within the film? Well, I know when I, when I got to Juniper and those guys, they, they were going to knock it out of the park, but I, I sat with the music that David Hollander uh, uh, amassed for me. I sat with that for a long time. And throughout the pandemic, I just immersed myself in it. And then for the first time, I did the the spot, the spotting of the music, because um, you know, I I knew and got got very, very um comfortable with thousands of um recordings and then found a through line. 
and made it like like it was composed like like we had an after composer that would normally be the case for a, a big time western but i kind of reverse engineered it and sometimes a lot of the music i used on set because i knew i was going to use this song and like in the beginning i knew the song i was going to use and so when we had the crane i had the song playing so the crane knew the the feel and everybody in that scene knew the feel of that scene and even when i you know flashed three fingers i knew the sting in the music that i was going to use that part with so it's kind of reverse engineered and, you know, because you were mentioning working on that through the pandemic, um, you know, you you filmed this right before the pandemic and then that obviously drastically delayed everything, but also gave you the gift of having a lot of time in post-production with all of the elements, it sounds like. And, and given that and the fact that you made this film independently, so you had final cut on it, how do you feel like the post-production process and having all that extra time really allowed you to tell this story precisely the way that you always intended to? I am going to do every movie this way again. I'm not going to plan a pandemic, but I'm, um, but I ended up editing this movie at home. But I, I spent time and I would send to the editors the actual frame that I, you know, in, so my editing notes look like zero zero six six seven five 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 five. Like it's just all of this type of stuff, and I had the time to do that. And they knew I was losing my mind because, because when I, I'd be done, I'd send it to them, and it's like, it's a, there's a timestamp, and it'll be like, you know, four fifty one a.m. <laughs> you know, and uh, like the crazy thing is like, I can get up, like I I can go to sleep and wake up with an idea and go to my computer and work on it. That never, you can, I mean, you're not gonna go into an editing room at 4.51 a.m. But as it came to me, I would do these things and and send send my notes. And at first they're like, oh, what is it? And they're like, wait a minute, he really knows like to the frame what I what I was looking for, you know, so we had this this uh this really unique um dialogue going on and i and i i i, I gotta say i'm probably gonna do the same thing with every movie i direct that's amazing and 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 lastly, because the story kind of sets out with one premise of, you know, it's an act of individualism and revenge. And then by the end, is this really, th really the story about kind of finding more of a sense of community and others and forgiveness and kind of like personal redemption instead? Um, did you always have a sense of just the pacing of how you wanted to gradually reveal your hand in terms of the way that it shifts from one space to another gradually for the audience? Yeah, uh, the the true impact of anything is not seeing it coming. You, uh, I'm a I'm kind of a um, amateur magician as well, and I think that that is a good thing to to know going into filmmaking and, and directing because you don't want to show your hand. You want to you want the the you know, the element of surprise, and so. 
Um, yeah, it's setting up a a um, a story about redemption and forgiveness, but disguise it as a revenge film. That's in essence what I wanted to do: was take you down this road and let you feel like the character in wanting revenge, but to say maybe that's not the way. Maybe letting go of animosity and pain is the is the best way to overcome all these things. And that's the message, you know, for the for the film. I, I love the detail that amateur magic has influenced the way that you've told the story as a filmmaker and want to congratulate you on the film. You know, I know it's been such a long journey to get this made. So congratulations on everything and thank you so much, Michael. Thank you.